0: Welcome to All About Capital Campaigns, a podcast that provides fuel for your nonprofit's growth. Each week, hosts Andrea Kilstedt and Amy Eisenstein, co-founders of the Capital Campaign Toolkit, provide practical tips about raising more money for your nonprofit organization. The Capital Campaign Toolkit is a support system for nonprofit leaders who are running capital campaigns. At CapitalCampaignToolkit.com, you can download a step-by-step guide for your capital campaign and get many other free resources here are your hosts amy and andrea
1: as you perhaps know you probably know i'm andrea Kilstead, and i am a co-founder of the capital campaign toolkit I am not here with my wonderful co-founder partner, Amy Eisenstein, who is in uh, Florida at... Disney World with her kids who are on spring break and her husband. So she has taken the whole week off. I am disciplining her to work only one hour a day because she works very hard. So I get this flurry of emails from her in the morning and then we don't hear from her anymore. We have invited our amazing colleague Sarah Plinton to join us today and you will know why in a second. Sarah, how long have you been at the Toolkit? About a year now?
2: About yeah. Yes. Why don't you tell everybody a little about you, Sarah? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, hello, Toolkit Talks. It is a pleasure and a delight to be with you all uh, this afternoon. Uh, my name is Sarah Plimpton, as Andrea mentioned, and I have been with the Toolkit for about a year uh, wearing two hats. My first hat with the Toolkit, I joined about a year ago as an advisor uh, which brings me great joy to work with some of our clients. And in uh, the fall, this past fall, I joined with the second hat, which is chief happiness officer, <coughs> for the kit, which allows me to work closely with many of our clients, if not all of them, um, and also work closely with Amy and Andrea. That is a bit about my role. Wouldn't you love a job
1: called Chief Happiness Officer? Amy and I thought long and hard about what role to, to give Sarah as she came on, and we came yeah. up with that one, and it's been um, been amazing, actually. Yeah. So, what we're going to do, what we're going to talk about today, because Sarah has joined us, we have changed the topic. The advertised topic was to talk about mini campaigns, which I still wrote about in the blog post, which will come out this week, but um, but. Because Sarah is here with us, you know what we're going to talk about today? We're going to talk about happiness. Happiness, how to make people happy and why it matters, and how in your fundraising practice, you too should be thinking about making people happy and what kind of a process it is to think about that. And Sarah has led this down, led us down this amazing path of actually thinking quite seriously about how to make people happy, both inside and outside of the toolkit. So that will be our conversation. Sarah, you are amazing in our role of chief happiness officer. And one of the things that makes me laugh about what you do is that you send people brownies. I do. Talk about sending brownies, how that came about, what the response is, and and what you've learned about making people
2: happy in this time. Let's actually start a little before brownies. Yes. Let's talk about brownies, but let's start before brownies. Okay. Okay. So when I think about happiness, and I'm curious to know what what you think about when you think about happiness in this way, Andrea, I think about sort of the base human desire to be seen, right? If you are happy, you are seen, you are known, you are understood. And I think that any true effort to make someone else happy has to begin with an effort to really see that person and uh, understand that person. Um, And I think that there's you know, some nuance here in that, you know, the grand gestures, the brownies of the world, if you will, are one way that you or we see people. Um, but just relating with people with, uh, the sort of disposition of wanting to see them and to know them, I think carries so much value. And in fact, allows you or allows us to, um, Pull off the grand gestures, the brownies, if you will, uh, in a meaningful way.
1: You know, Sarah, I, I think it's such a wonderful approach to making what makes people happy. And it sounds so simple, but I think in reality, it's not simple. Right, yeah. Seeing people is not simple. Getting outside of yourself enough mm-hmm. to really be present with other people, which is what it takes, mm-hmm. it is not so easy, right? We're often so in our own heads and in what we're trying to get done that you can spend a long time with someone and realize how little you actually noticed, right? That it's it's a practice, like many other things in life, that the more you practice it, the the better you get, the better you get. Yeah, for sure. Do you have tips and tricks for getting good at seeing,
2: actually seeing people? No, well, I think that uh, questions. I always think about um, what questions and not yes or no questions, but open-ended questions. What questions can I ask people to learn more about them or learn more about their motivations or their aspirations or hopes, fears, all those kinds of things, I think, can really uh, reveal a lot and help you understand what makes a person tick. Right. Yeah,
1: I think that's. I think that's right. I used to spend a fair amount of time trying to think about questions that would do that. Questions like, mm-hmm. "Who are your heroes?" Right? Mm-hmm. You get people to tell you their who their heroes are. You really get a window mm-hmm. into into who they think how they think and and that and but but working from the gestalt model as you know I've done some work at the gestalt center on cape cod and and one of the things I learned there is that you can learn a huge amount about people just by actually looking at them mm-hmm. that you don't need to know what they think you can learn a huge amount just by noticing the color of their face and how they whether they're flushing or not flushing, whether whether they're receding, they're coming towards you or receding away from you, whether how they, how their hand gestures are, how how they're expressing themselves and even paying attention at that level, I think, can be so. So profound. Yeah. It's it's so it sounds so simple and we so often miss it. Mm-hmm. And you know, in some way watching people on Zoom, we have a better opportunity to do that because you really do look at people on Zoom, right? Yeah. You're, your range of vision is very limited to a headshot yeah. <laughs> to it and and if you notice if you get give yourself permission to notice yeah. what, what's going on you can tell yeah. a huge amount about not about what people are thinking but about what emotionally is going on with them yep um, yep. You know, and you're very good at that, Sarah. I mean, you, you know, on, on the toolkit, we have small group sessions on on Wednesdays and and with some frequency after one of those sessions, you'll say, gee, I was worried about about so and so. I wondered about how so and so was feeling or wasn't it exciting to see so and so looking, you know, feeling so cheerful. I think that's because you're a very good observer on those calls.
2: Well, thank you. That would... I, I think, though, um, something you said that I want to highlight is the noticing. And so a takeaway or, or a, a thing for some of our viewers to think about is creating a culture of noticing. And I think actually this role, the chief happiness role, helped me in my own, you know, sort of culture of noticing, you know, coming off those group coaching calls and thinking about what did I notice and what, how am I going to act in uh, response to what I noticed? Um, Think about where you notice in your day, people being kind around you, your colleagues, your donors, your board members, your volunteers, people being resilient or working hard or persevering through circumstances that are, not desirable, shall we say, or frustrating, Um, people going the extra mile. And if you you sort of think about uh, how can I notice these things or how many of these kinds of things can I notice, you do start to notice them. And when you start to notice them, you can point them out to people. You can act on them. You can send the brownies for the person who's persevering through Obstacles that are less desirable, shall we say. Um, But I think it begins with noticing. Let's get back to brownies, because I think that's an
1: interesting, an interesting segue that that, you know, it's one thing to think about sending brownies or something to someone that's gotten a big gift. Right, And we do that when one mm-hmm. of our clients is, has achieved a milestone, for example, when their campaign has gone over a certain amount or when we hear about something great that's happened, we try to send something or recognize that in some way. But, but I think in some way it's much more powerful to send brownies or whatever it is you're going to send because you saw that someone was really struggling Mm-hmm. right you saw someone was really disappointed or mm-hmm. was wrestling with something that they were dealing with or seemed down or mm-hmm. right that indicates yeah. that, that you really saw them saw them right yeah, and how rarely we do that in our fundraising practices. I mean, I, all of you on this call, I want you to think about that a little and think about what do you recognize your donors for? What kind of a what kind of a program do you have that gets you thinking about donor recognition mm-hmm. that actually is more meaningful than you know than putting people's names in lists according to giving amounts. I mean that's where most people start, right? Let's. How are we going to recognize people? Where are we going to put their names? Mm-hmm. Right now, it's an interesting question about whether people really care if their names are anywhere or what kind of impact it has, and maybe they do, and maybe they don't. Mm-hmm. But if if you can get much more um, granular about actually watching to see. Notable things and recognizing people, even in a little email, it doesn't need to be as fancy as sending anything, but mm-hmm. just even in a little email saying, you know, are you okay? You seemed down, or I was so excited to, to, you know, to see you being full of, you know, full of excitement today on the call or
2: mm-hmm. that matters. It matters. Right? Yeah. It matters. And it's so, it's so rare in our world today to have someone who's not, you know, your partner or your best friend really see you and it feels good. You know, Sarah, you were, before you came to the
1: toolkit, you were at a private school in Maine um, and uh, <clears throat> the name of which eludes me at the moment, but, um, but I'm wondering what, what you did for donor recognition there. And if you came to this job with, with a history of thinking this way. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it was certainly the part of my job that I loved the most. I loved the relationships. I loved working with the donors, figuring the donors out. Not so much as um, pocketbooks, so to speak, although that was obviously part of my job as the director of development. But really, figuring out um, how does this donor's hope. For our mission and the work that we're doing with our students align with our vision? And how can we work together to achieve something that makes them really excited and feel really great about their philanthropy and that also advances the school? Um, so, I think, you know, in terms of what I was doing for donor recognition, I had a small team relatively small team. It's all, it's all relative. I had, you know, a staff of, I think four, which is huge to some people, but tiny to other people. Um, we didn't have a huge budget. Uh, we were really busy as everyone working in a school is you have a million pots flying. So there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of, um, opportunity for, uh, grand gestures above and beyond sort of business as usual. But what I tried to do uh, every day, or most days, because some days were crazy, uh, was really s- see people mm-hmm. and be with people where they were, um, trying to be in partnership with my donors and and making the giving, you know, secondary to the partnership. Um, always being authentic. And direct, uh, understanding the expectations that my donors had, both for me as the person who was kind of the facilitator of their giving to the institution, but also of the institution as a whole, and then making sure that those expectations were both attainable and communicated elsewhere in the organization so they could be met. Um, I tried to always have context around conversations when I was speaking with donors so I would know. As much as I could about a situation, and didn't necessarily wear that on my sleeve, but had it at the ready, um, which I think is important. Um, I made things personal as much as I could, so I had a rule in my office—or not a rule—that sounds a little more authoritarian than it, than it actually was. Um, but we did a a personal note on every single thank you letter that went out, and not just thanks so much for your gift. But I took, you know, 60 seconds, looked up the kids' names. Hope Susie's having a great time in second grade. I love watching them on the playground out the window of my office, or something, something where that parent is gonna say, oh, this person knows my kid's name and has some context for how my child is connecting in this community. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, the grand gestures in, 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 the world of development, I'll sum up my long-winded answer by saying this, that in the world of development, where we all have a million things to do, resources are not endless. They're limited. Uh, it, it, can be very overwhelming to think that you have to do more and differently in order to be successful with your donors. And I think that, um, No matter how busy you are, no matter how limited your resources you are, we can all be intentional. We can all slow down, listen more, and connect with the people who are right in front of us. And that is the foundation and the basis, I think, of any strong relationship. Right
1: right you know I, I i um I so appreciate that I just think it's so important and I think it is facilitated or I have noticed in your' working with the toolkit that knowing that you are there and if I notice something that I can pass it along to you and you can follow up on sending something or doing something tangible that just knowing that that, that you are there to facilitate that, and it gets me thinking, thinking and seeing more. Right. I mean, it really—it's interesting to me to see how how your being in that role has enabled me to be better at noticing what our clients are doing and what our advisors are doing, and and what's going on, and to be able to say, Hey, Sarah, I just saw this. Can you send somebody? You know, can you send so and so? something, and it's easy for you to do that because you have it all set up. Mm -hmm. So rather than wanting to, you know, put my head over my, my hands over my head and say, I don't have one more minute or one more brain cell, you know, able to stop what I'm doing and actually figure out how to, how to send flowers or how to do something that the, the, that having it organized and having someone who actually is, has made it simple to follow through on this on the motivation to do it has led us at the toolkit to be much better about making those things happen. Mm-hmm. So I think it it works both ways. One is being able to see something and the other is having the bandwidth, right? When bandwidth is not so, it's not so available for many of us. I mean, my bandwidth, I think it's just because I'm getting older, my bandwidth seems to be shrinking these days, right? So, so, so it's fascinating. It has been in this year of working with you, Sarah, it has been fascinating to me to see how much more I notice about people because I know that we want, we want to recognize people for things that they do that are good, or that if they're in trouble, we want to recognize that. And we want to, we want to do what we can to make them feel, feel better. 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 Yeah. And that's a, that's, that's a big deal. I think. Let me wrap it up with just one more thing that has given me some, some pleasure. We at the toolkit have about, um, I think nine advisors. We have a staff of 12 now and, um, and, and they are the, they are the heart of this business. They are terrific. They work with clients. They're just so capable and so smart and they have been with us a long time. And they're, we know them all well, they're terrific. And we, we decided that we want to be able to recognize them too, but we were trying to figure out how can we do that in a way that feels real. So last week, we sent out a survey to them, each one of them, asking them to fill in things like, what's your favorite restaurant in your community? Where do you go in your community when you have, you know, when you want to do something special? What, you know, is there a bookstore that you particularly like to frequent? Is there, we came up with a list of of several Several questions, so that they could tell us, right, what their what gives them pleasure, particularly in their community, for them, and we can now keep it in a file. And when we see somebody's birthday coming up, we can actually look and see, not just you know sending brownies, but we can actually look and see, oh maybe maybe we can send Zan a gift certificate at her favorite at her favorite little restaurant, right? And that would be fun. Mm-hmm. So the idea of how do we capture information that is specific to people's mm-hmm. pleasure, mm-hmm. right? I think is, is an interesting one. I mean, at the toolkit, we could do it because it, and, and everybody filled it out, Sarah. I don't know if you know that. Every, everybody filled it out. It's right? awesome. Of course, yeah. it's not surprising perhaps, but yeah. I was pleased. Yeah. Sarah, I think this has been a, just such a good reminder. And I I just, you know, one could do worse. (laughs) One could do worse in the notion of making people happy than just setting aside some time in the office once a month, for example, to have a meeting to to talk about how to make donors happy, how to make staff happy. Mm -hmm. Do you ever have a meeting like that? Yeah. Like that, right? Yeah. So it's such a great That's topic, okay. and I think we often let it just go go away without putting some serious brain power yeah. into it. And I encourage all of you, even if it's just 20 minutes in one day to say, let's brainstorm all the things we might do that's going to make that are going to make us feel great and are going to make our donors feel great. Whether they're little or big, why don't we why don't we have some fun just brainstorming and see if we can get ourselves to act on that and to report back what we've done. Just that would help.
2: And maybe you also order in lunch for your team for that discussion, so that you feel a little happy too. Right. Right. right? Are you advocating a glass of champagne? No? I am. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Great. Thank you all.
1: A pleasure to be here with you today. Next week, Amy will be back and we will talk about what marks the start of the actual start of your capital campaign, how to think about that. It's an important topic, actually. Very so good we look forward time. to seeing you next week.
0: Thanks for joining Amy and Andrea for today's All About Capital Campaigns. To learn more about them and their work together, go to CapitalCampaignToolkit.com. This podcast is recorded on a live webinar every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You can join the live sessions and get your questions answered by signing up today at ToolkitTalks.com. And please like, rate, and review us on your favorite podcasting platform.